Greg is going to come and share, and I want you to give Greg a, a home UP welcome because he's a UPer. Thank you, my friend. Love you, man. Honestly, you have the, uh, a quality, absolutely quality pastor. And if you believe that, why don't you just give your pastor a hand? I just, I just believe in him. I, uh, I honestly, when, uh, when we scheduled this uh, time together, I got excited. Uh, number one, because I'm a youper. My mom is, lives in Manistique and still does. I lived there, graduated from Manistique High School a few years ago. 40, actually. That's, no, that's crazy, having a 40-year high school reunion. That's old people right there, uh, which I'm not. Uh, so I'm still living in denial. But, uh, but I got excited as well when I started to just hear Pastor Kevin's heart, all the things that you do in this area, not just your thrift store, but your heart and your passion to reach people in this community, in the Marquette area, and, and, uh, and it's really my heartbeat. So, I mean, our hearts just are, are beating together in, in that way, and uh, in so many ways this morning, I just feel like what I'm going to share, uh, I'm preaching to the choir because uh, you, you, you already have a great, um, uh, I mean, people talk about you in a, in a very positive way. You have a good name in your community, and so much of that comes from the heartbeat of your pastor. And so I just appreciate them so much. Uh, one more thing about your pastor. I, I, did wanna, I didn't say this in the first service, but I have an, I, I'm, next week I'm speaking in Escanaba. I'm spending the week at my mom's house here in Manistique. I live in Springfield, Missouri. I'm actually a United States missionary, uh, signed to Convoy of Hope, and we do a marriage piece. I'll talk about some of that here as well in just a little bit. But, um, but uh, my friend Jason, uh, I told him, yeah, I'm going to be up in Marquette. And he goes, oh, what church? I told him. He said, oh, Pastor Kevin, good friend of mine. And then he said, and I don't know if I told you this, but uh, then Pastor, uh, Pastor Jason said this, when I, when, I see, uh, when I see your name, talking about me, come up as a phone call, I know that it's going to cost me at least a half an hour. So I have to think, do I have a half an hour? But when I see Kevin's name come up on my, he said, it's going to cost me an hour. Because uh, he likes to talk as well. So then, the very first time that Kevin and I talked, uh, chatted on the phone about this today, uh, anybody want to guess how long we talked? It was an hour and a half. <laughs> so that worked out really. He was right on, I guess. Uh, so, <laughs> but you really have awesome, awesome pastor and his wife. Just to have a heart and a passion for you and for God and for the for people around. Uh, on the way in, I, I I didn't say this as well in the first service, but on the way in today, um, I have my favorites on my Spotify, my praise, and my favorite, honestly, is the goodness of God. I mean, I, I honestly crank that up, along with Rattle. I mean, you know the song Rattle? I, I'm just like, just as the man who was thrown on the... I mean, I get going on that, right? And, uh, but, uh, but this morning, just, I mean, tears kind of come down my face as I'm just hearing about that. And then we sing it in church this morning. And I had the thought about this. Um, uh, my wife and I were going to one of our very first marriage retreats together. By the way, my wife and I, Rochelle, has, uh, we've been married 35 years now. Just celebrated that a couple weeks ago. Uh, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal girl. I appreciate you keeping her in prayer. She, um, uh, last uh, August, was diagnosed with breast cancer. And in October, she had a double mastectomy. Uh, we're having to go back to Houston here in a couple of weeks to do kind of a, a, another surgery type of thing. And uh, so she's not here with us this morning. But we would really appreciate your prayers for her as well. She's... Uh, I mean, I married way, 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 way over my head. I'll just tell you that. Not because she's taller than me, because uh, she's not. Uh, but, uh, but we were going to our very first marriage retreat a few years ago uh, to New Sharon, Iowa. <clears throat> On the way there, my wife, who is a marriage therapist, by the way, she works with uh, Focus on the Family, uh, does marriage intensives, and she helps people keep their marriage. She's amazing at it. I actually have a perfect marriage now because she just tells me what to do, and I, she's the professional. But uh, the, we got a deal because I drive a school bus still. I'm a uh, substitute, uh, so she doesn't tell me how to drive because I'm a professional at that. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you think that works out pretty good right there, right? Uh, so uh, we're on our way there, and my wife said this, I don't need you. I'm like, what do you mean you don't need me? 
She goes, and she couldn't get her point across what she was really trying to say. I said, and I'm, I'm making all these things like, you need me. You need my paycheck. You need my smile, my good looks. All right, one out of two ain't bad. Uh, you, need, you need me for, you know, I just named several other things. And she goes, no, I don't need And we're like maybe 10 minutes, five minutes from going. Did I mention we were going to do a marriage retreat, right? And this was, and she goes, look, if I need you, I exhaust all of your energy, but I want you. I don't want anything to happen. I want you, but I don't need you. Want, and when she said that, something just clicked. Whoa, she wants me. Hubba hubba, hubba hubba. Well, we ain't going to that marriage retreat. She wants me, right? And, um, and you know, I got to thinking about uh, our relationship with God. And as we worship, I hope the next time you spend time worshiping, you have this very thought to just think this, that God does not need us. God doesn't need us. God could do whatever he wants to do without you and I. Uh, take us out of the picture. God will still do what God's going to do, right? But God wants us. Woo! Does that change everything? God wants you. He wants you so much that he sent his son on the, to the cross to die for you and I. Now let's take this just one step further because when it comes to us with God, you and I do not have the ability to even take one breath. I think we sang that this morning as well. We have no ability to have even a thought. We need God. We need God. You have no existence outside of God. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. For us, we can stand and say, I am thankful to God that he is who he said he is, that he is a good, good God, and he loves us the way he does. We need God, but this is where I think you want to take your relationship with God to a new level. I, I think that the, here's, here's just a simple way. You sit, and, you, and next time you're worshiping, you just say to God, as you're singing, as you're worshiping, God, I know I need you, but not only do I need you, I really want you. I want you. I think when we say that to God, it's kind of the same attitude I had when my wife said that to me. I want you. It was hubba hubba. You want to make, put a smile on God's face? You want to hear God go hubba hubba? All you got to do, God, I want you today. Just practice that for a second. I'd just like for you to just kind of take a look up as if God's, I mean, and say, God, I want you today. Go ahead. Yeah, isn't that cool? That's so cool. Uh, all right, so let's get into what we're here for. I, I actually am, uh, we're here for all that, but uh, I actually um, am privileged to get to be a United States missionary with uh, Rural Compassion slash Convoy of Hope. How many of you have ever heard of Convoy of Hope? Uh, we love, I love Convoy of Hope. I never knew, thought I would ever uh, uh, be a part of that organization, but I am completely blessed by that. Um, and as a United States missionary, I actually work in rural communities, thus rural compassion. And what we do is we help churches get outside the four walls of your building and go and serve your community and the people in your community. We help you do that by coaching, training, which we're going to have a training this afternoon. We're going to talk about some very real ways and things some other people are doing on reaching out and serving their community. Uh, we coach, train, mentor. So we have pastors that come inside. I, one of my favorite things, I have, I have several people I meet with on a weekly basis right now, and I just share with them stories of things God showed us in ministry, 35 years plus of ministry experience. Uh, you learn a few things along the way, I hope, Right? If you're the same person at the age of 50 as you were at the age of 20, you just wasted 30 years of your life, right? You're a different person. You learn some things along the way, and we get to share those things with mentoring. And then we help resource churches. Last year, Convoy of Hope and our Rural Compassion team, uh, through COVID, we had to do things a little bit differently. We couldn't just have people come to our warehouse and get product and go serve their community. We had to take it to them. And one of the things our president, Hal Donaldson, got on his knees before God, and, and he wasn't ready to retreat. He was going to advance, and because that's what Convoy of Hope does. We not only feed 300,000 people across the world every day, but we also advance when the storms are coming, the fires are coming, the hurricanes are coming. It's Convoy of Hope was usually the first boots on the ground in those areas, and we help serve those areas, which is so cool. 
But uh, when COVID hit, we were like, how are we going to advance? And Hal said to our organization, here's, what we're, here's the goal in front of us. We're going to feed 10 million meals to people who are affected directly by COVID right here in our United States of America. That's what we're going to do. 10 million meals. That means we got to step up with our partners. That means that we have to get on the phones. It means that we have to be proactive in all of this. I'm glad to tell you that Convoy of Hope not only met our goal of 10 million meals, we kind of exceeded it last year. And last year, we fed over 200 million meals to people right here in America. That's pretty cool. <clears throat> that is amazing. And 350 uh, semi-loads went to rural communities because of our phone calls. Had a friend in Oskaloosa, Iowa, who uh, got, the day came that uh, he got his load, 27,000 pounds of Jimmy Dean sausage. He goes, what do I do with that? I said, I don't know, figure it out, right? He threw it on Facebook, and no, long, no sooner did he get it out on Facebook, he had 500 cars lined up in his church. That's the way I think life should work, right? The, the world lining up at the church. I just think that's a great picture. So I want to share with you then this morning a message called uh, Serving. It's what we do. Serving, it's what we do. And I kind of take it off that old... There was an old uh, Geico commercial where uh, the guy is running. He's a uh, helicopter chasing him, and uh, he, he's just running, running, and his phone goes off. And it's his mom, right? And, uh, and she's like, just talking, talking. And, uh, you know, and so, uh, you know, if you're a mom, you call it the worst times. It's what we do, right? But if you want to save money on car insurance, you shop at Geico. It's what we do, right? So this morning, I just really want to say it this way. If you're a child of God, serving, it's what we do. That's what, that's, that's what we are known by. They'll know us by our fruit. They'll know us by what we do. But what does it actually look like? So as we get there this morning, I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, as you're turning there, I want to ask, these are setup questions. I'm not even going to pretend this morning. How many of you today love God? You'd raise your hand and say, man, I love God today. That's almost all of you. I won't point out the one that didn't raise her hand. Hopefully by the end of the service, you'll go, I'm on board too, right? Uh, the Bible tells us this in 1 John chapter 2, that if you say you love God, but you don't love people, what are you? Yeah, that's what it says. You, you King James people, you're really good. It says you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. You're deceiving yourself. How many of you want to serve God all the days of your life? Can I see your hands? You want to serve God. Can I, and I, there's nowhere in Scripture it says what the last priest said, but I think we can make an easy connection here, right? That if you say you want to serve God, but you're not willing to serve people, is the truth really in you? But here's what I'm going to also say to you. This serving piece, it is not easy. Nobody, very few people wake up in the morning and go, yes, I get to serve somebody. Honey, I made you dinner or breakfast to bring you in bed. Nobody, anybody get breakfast in bed this morning? How many got coffee in bed? How many of you didn't do a thing until you got your coffee? That's you, right? Okay. So you, that's you. All right. Uh, so serving doesn't always come natural, which means that we have to work at it and be intentional if we're going to get there, right? So then what does that actually look like? Uh, uh, Galatians chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, and in, in, before I read this scripture, let me give you a little bit of a backdrop to the book of Galatians. Because if you're a legalist, Galatians, the book of Galatians will mess you up. Uh, Galatians is that book that talks, Paul is all about grace. It was by faith that you were saved. What made you think that you had to do dot, dot, dot? And he uses the word circumcise a lot in there. You thought you had to do this, and you thought you had to follow this rule, and you thought you had to do this. Who cut in on you? You were running such a good race. Galatians chapter 5, I think it's verse 7, says, who cut in on you? You are running such a good race. And here's the problem with good works, thinking that that's what gets you to heaven. Two things are a problem with it. Number one, uh, how do you ever know that you've done enough good works to get yourself to heaven? 
Man, what a terrible way. You know, there's a lot of religions that are based upon that. I have a good friend, Anthony Crane, who actually came out of a very legalistic background, so much so that he was listening to a pastor one time that said this, women, you need to have your, your sleeves, if they, they have to go over your elbows or you're not going to heaven. And at the end of the service, Anthony went up to the preacher, and you don't challenge the preacher in, his, in that denomination. He said, so let me get this right. There, this is heaven. This is hell. Heaven, so heaven and hell are only divided by two inches. And the preacher says, I said what I said. You heard me. And, and uh, Anthony, my friend, was kind of really put out by that, started looking for answers. And when he met grace for the very first time in his life, instead of legalism, it was so attractive to him. And he said this, there's three things that legalists have to have for legalism to stay alive. You have to have these three things. You have to have, uh, you have, to have a fear-based message. Fear has to keep it alive. Pride, somebody has to stand up and say, I have the answers. And you have to have ignorance. You have those three things, legalism will thrive. Take one of them away, legalism comes crashing down. How many of you thankful today that you are saved by grace and saved by faith, not by works? That's the truth. So this morning is not a message that is just built upon uh, doing, doing, doing. This is a result. I hope that this morning's message, you get a piece of this because you want to be more like Jesus. And you say, that's what I want. So here's the verse. Uh, Galatians 5.13, you, my brother, this is Paul speaking, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to do whatever you want, to, to indulge the flesh. Rather, if you want the list of what to do as a child of God, I'm throwing the book at you. Here it is. Serve one another. Ready? Go. Go serve somebody. That's what it says. Jesus, of course, says this ahead of time in Matthew chapter 20, verse 28. And we all want to be more like Jesus if we're a child of God. Uh, Peter, uh, James and John's mother comes to Jesus in the verses before this one. And he says, she says, can my kids sit on your left and show me the power, right? Show my kids the power. And Jesus said, no, you got it all wrong. And then he said, look, people who, uh, who the, the, the Pharisees and, all, and the, the Greeks, they all live for power. If you're going to be a part of my kingdom, you have to follow my example. And here it is. Even as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We are called to serve. So what does that actually look like? I've got five points this morning. I would hope that some of you would take notes. Look back on this message uh, each, each week for the next few months and let it become part of your DNA, part of who you are, that as you practice the presence, as you practice serving, this will just become part of who you are. Number one, if you really want to serve, it starts with a smile. Everybody smile. Some of you have great smiles. All of you have great smiles, right? We all have smiles. Do you know that smiling is one of those things, it didn't cost you anything, but it just might have made somebody's day to smile at somebody? My father-in-law, and I, I didn't totally understand this when I was watching it happen. My father-in-law, Norm Wenig, uh, I'm not a name dropper unless I know Norm Wenig. Then I'm like, that's who I want. That, that, is, uh, that is a great name to know. He's been in heaven now for six years. One of the greatest soul winners I have ever been around, known. He just loved people. He wasn't weird about it. We would go places and anywhere we went, it always took us longer to get, go because he always, he didn't know a stranger. Uh, he wanted to share his faith with people, not in a strange, weird way. There was always something he could have in common with people, whether it was fishing, hunting, didn't matter. He, he could always bring it around to, to a good spiritual lesson. We went to convenience stores and the lady behind the counter inevitably, uh, or the guy would say, hey, how are you doing? And my father-in-law's standard answer was, I'm the happiest person I know. I'm the happiest person I know. Uh, you know what? I think that if your church was known for saying that to everyone around, and that's how you answered, uh, what would be so cool would, would be like you go to a convenience store, and the clerk behind the store behind the counter has heard it so many times that, that the person, that, that they go, oh, you must go to that Silver Creek church. Wouldn't that be cool? That that's what you were known for, right? 
but uh, I want you to practice real quick with your neighbor. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, I'm the happiest person I know. And I know what some of you right now are thinking. That preacher up there just encouraged me to lie in church, right? <laughs> but I want you to get this. The part of the smile is just adding value to somebody's life. It says, you are valuable. That's what it says. Here's the other piece I want you to understand about that, is that happiness is not something that the world gave to us. I love that Pastor Kevin prayed that in his prayer this morning. The world didn't give it to me. The world can't take it away. How many of you know that if you watch the news, that's pretty depressing? That'll take the smile right off your face, right? Uh, but I do know this, that God is in control. And I also know this, that I believe, I still believe that the best days for America are still ahead of us. Come on, because one of two things has to happen here in the United States. We are either ripe for a revival or we are ripe for the coming of the Lord. Either way, we're in good shape. We are the answer to a lost and dark, dying world. Our smile speaks to the world that we have something that they don't. Our smile. So whether you get a bad, uh, bad report card or you get a uh, bad report from the doctor or you get a uh, fender bender or somebody cuts you off, how I many you know that that'll just really wreck your day? Somebody cutting you off on the, uh, just frosts you, right? Makes you, anyway, uh, that's the only thing that really takes my smile. There are times I get road rage. I'm, I'm just telling you my faults today. Uh, but, but here's the deal. When we smile, things happen. My father-in-law lived it right to the very end of his life. He was a month away from going to heaven. In the hospital, he'd had a brain tumor. And that night, uh, before my wife and I went to go see him, he had had a horrible night, didn't get much sleep. He was in a lot of pain. We went in. He kind of perked up. Hi, hi, Dad, how you doing? Oh, you know what? It was kind of a rough night, but God is still good. And, uh, I mean, that's just who he was. Uh, he did his best to kind of uh, still be happy, and, and even though the circumstances didn't call for it. Then the nurse walked in right behind us, and the nurse said, hey, Norm, how you doing? He said, well, I had a little bit of a rough night. And then he said, you know why I'm here, though? She goes, well, let me look at your chart. Looks like you got dot, 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 and we're here to help you. She, he says, you know what? I've had all those things that are on your chart right now, and I've had them at home, and God has healed me of every single one of those things on your chart. The only reason I can figure that I'm here today is to encourage you. What can I do to encourage you today? And the nurse said, well, you know what? We got to take you down the hallway for a little bit, take you for a little walk. Why don't we just go talk about it? As they walked down the hallway, my wife and I kind of stood in the, in the doorway watching him go, and uh, you heard that infectious laugh that he had. <laughs> and then you heard her, and there was an interaction going on, and you just knew that girl's getting a dose. She's getting some good smile. She's getting some good stuff. As they made their way back, she had tears in her eyes, and she said, thanks, Norm. You made my day. Thank you so much. As we left the hospital that day, I had the thought about not just my father-in-law, but about my life. You know, just because you are in pain gives, no, gives you no reason to be a pain. We all have stuff. We all have reason to go, man, life is, we all have that. But how many of you know that we have a God who is an amazing God, who is a good God? We don't just sing about the good. He's with us through the fire. I've known him as a father. I've known him as a friend. I have tasted of the goodness of God. We have reason to smile. Number two, if you're really going to serve, it starts with a smile. How many of you have ever been served by a grump? All right. I mean, it can happen. But man, how much better. If you're working in the thrift store, put a, I mean, smile, right? If you're working out, in the st out as a teacher, smile, right? If you're working wherever it is that you're working, smile. Good things will happen. Number two, say thank you and say thank you a lot. How many of you today are thankful for our military? Thank you, military, for serving our great country. How many are thankful for our police officers? I don't know if you've seen, but 
It ain't easy to be a police officer right now in America. I am thankful for our police officers. I'm mean, thankful for our volunteer or paid vo uh, fire departments. I'm thankful for them. How I many are thankful for mail coming to your house? Spend junk mail, all that stuff. How I many are thankful that somebody picked up your garbage this week at your house? Learn to say thank you to these people and great things, great things will happen. Now, I was, uh, how many thankful for uh, the, 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 the attendants out in the parking lot that, that met you at the door? They were serving. How many thankful for the people who work in the, uh, in the children's department? Uh, I have no way of proving this. I said this to a few people. I have no way of proving this, but it just seems right. Anyone who works in the uh, infant group or kids group or Royal Rangers, anything with kids or the pastor's wife, either one of those, they are going to get eternal combat pay when they get to heaven. That's just a war zone. I'm just telling you what, right? That's just, I, how many thankful for those people, right? Uh, I, I'm, I can say thank you to the worship team today. Worship team, thank you so much. I told this story earlier. I was in the boot heel of, of uh, Missouri, and that's a different place. I'm just telling you, that's a different world. I got to the church that morning. We'd set up a service with the, he and, me and the pastor, and uh, the pastor meets me at the door, and he says, I almost called you this week, tell you that uh, not to come. We had a church split right in the middle of the week. The worship team took all their instruments. The worship leader left, and they're doing. I, and he said, I'm so mad at him. The only reason I didn't call you is because I didn't want to preach to these people either. It's like, thanks, appreciate that. So that morning we got there. Oh, and this, this is pretty cool because, uh, because oh, I'll tell you this at the end. Uh, but that, uh, that morning, we, uh, we still had worship. The, the pastor said, we're going to play YouTube videos. Okay, we're going to play YouTube videos. And I'm like, oh, YouTube videos, that work. That's, that's cool. We can, we can make the worship work with that. Uh, but the guy up in the booth, he didn't know how to, he had never done it either. He didn't know how to take out any of the commercials. I am not making this part up. That morning, we sat through three Viagra commercials, three in church. We took it as a sign from God and prayed for some guy named Ed. I wasn't sure what that part was about, but uh, actually that part didn't happen. I just threw that part in. But this is the cool part. That, how many of you know that God can use anything? That morning, there happened to be three young people, teenagers, never been in church before. Why they came this morning, we don't even know. Gave an altar call that morning, said, if you want Jesus into your life, come on up. Three of them young men came to the fore. And as they were coming, the guy hit the, the YouTube to run, and it was another Viagra commercial. As they're coming, honest to God, that actually happened. I'm like, oh, God, this is crazy. Uh, <laughs> God can use anything. Be thankful and say thankful. Be, say thank you a lot. Be a good tipper. At, your, at the restaurants, say thank you. Number three, be a good listener. I wish I had more time to spend on this one, on being a good listener. My wife is a marriage therapist, uh, as I said, and I was asking her one time about, you know, being a, 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 what's a problem in a lot of marriages? And she said, well, obviously communication. It's not the biggest problem, but it is a problem. I said, break that down for me. And she goes, well, in good communication, you have a, a speaker and you have a listener. Uh, I said, okay, bad. She said, well, in a, a bad communication, you have a speaker and you have a speaker in waiting. It's not that they're not listening. They just can't wait for you to shut up because they're going to correct you. And they're going to they're help you out. And they're going to uh, work on the details and help you with your theology and everything else. If we're going to listen, listening is just part of it. There was a, there's a marriage guru out there, John Gottman. And uh, he actually did this 30-year this uh, experiment or uh, thing with a whole bunch of couples. And uh, after 30 years, this is what he came to the conclusion about, about trying to change people. How many of you know that you have no ability to change anybody? How many of you know your words cannot change anybody unless God directs, right? <clears throat> after 30 years and... Uh, thousands of couples, he came to this conclusion that 69% of the things that couples fight about and have, uh, uh, have problems with are completely unresolvable. Isn't that exciting news? In other words, one of you is a neat freak. The other one of you is a slob. One of you is a spender. One of you is a saver. 
My wife's credit card got stolen like three weeks ago, but I'm not going to turn it in because the thief is spending a lot less with it than my wife was, really. <laughs> so, uh, no, that's not true. Uh, one of you is a permissive parent. One of you is an authoritative. One of you is a beaver. One of you is an otter. One of you is an outgoing. One's an introvert. One of you, and we could go on and on with that list. And the problem is, is that if you think you're the one that's right and trying to get somebody else to change, you're fighting an uphill battle. Nobody likes to be changed. Nobody does. We change people's lives, honestly, by being a better listener and going, wow, wow, wow. Be a great listener, and I believe that you will be a great soul winner. James chapter 1, I believe it's verse 19 in a sense. It says this. This is my paraphrase. You got one mouth, two ears, use them in proportion, right? So, so be a better listener, and you'll be a greater soul winner. That's a great way to serve people. Number four, if you really want to serve, give a gift to someone. I started telling this story. I tell a little bit more of it in this service, but uh, I have a good friend, Kevin. Uh, we, we give away thousands of dollars worth of product. I've, I've given away, uh, our organization has given away like two million Tom's shoes to, to churches and communities all over. Right now we're on the Bomba socks. I think, didn't we get you Bomba socks? That was us that gave you those, right? Uh, so we've given away, in fact, I got another thousand of them like in my, uh, to give away. Um, I didn't bring them with me, though. Uh, they're going somewhere else. Um, we just give stuff away. Well, I was given uh, Powerade, Gatorade away uh, at one of our events, and um, uh, uh, the pastor, Kevin Kapler, uh, he came to that event. As a child, he always, if you asked him what he wanted to be when he grew up, he always said, I want to be a police officer. And then God called him into ministry, and he reluctantly was like, God, I don't want to be a minister. I want to be. And, but he said yes to God and went into the ministry. And for years, it's kind of been like he's done well. He's a soul winner. He's a great guy. He, built, he does a great job as a pastor of a church. But when he heard to take the, the, the power aid to the police department, he was like, I'm in. So he takes the, the power aid to the police department, knocks on the, rings the bell. Lady's like, can I help you? He said, my name's Kevin. I'm the pastor down here at New Life, just down the road. He said, and I, I wanted to just say thank you to your policemen for what they do in our community. And he said, and I want to give this to you as a gift. He, she said, well, just a second. Our chief just walked in. Why don't I buzz you in? You can just go give that to him. So he goes in and he, 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 he takes the power aid in, sits it down and said, hey, my name's Pastor Kevin. Just want to say thank you for all that you do for our community. This is a, this guy was kind of a bigger guy, okay? And the bigger guy goes, wow, what did you say your name was? He said, Kevin, where at? You're down there. He says, um, this is crazy, but I just left my house two minutes ago, and the last words my wife said were, you really need a chaplain for your fire, for your police department. Are you interested in that? And Kevin, it was like, hallelujah, lights go on. He's like, I'm interested. This is like my call of my life, you know, this is it. Kevin started doing life with people, and uh, he's actually led over six of those uh, police officers and their entire families to Christ and has been discipling them. It's uh, just an awesome thing. He gets the idea the ne uh, a couple months later to go to the uh, uh, neighboring town, offer his services there. He's got some momentum going. Uh, he's got some stories to tell, goes in and takes some power aid again, gives a gift. And says, my name's Kevin, and, down, he, the, and the guy shuts the door, the officer, the, the, the chief. And he says, uh, uh, I've heard about you, that good things are happening. Would you be interested in being our chaplain? He goes, yeah, I would, actually. He said, uh, well, consider yourself hired. Kevin says, well, the, I guess the first thing I'd like to do is, uh, is there anything you want me to pray for you about? And he says, yeah, I got dot, 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 not. And he says, well, all right. He was thinking Kevin would just leave with the prayer request. Kevin went just like this. Well, let's pray. And he puts his hands, and the guy's a big, big guy. Kevin's, like, not very big. And he puts his hands up here like this, and he starts praying. As he's praying, he notices that the chief, big, tough guy, starts, like, crying. And then he's, like, like that. And Kevin goes, whoa. He said, did you feel that? And the officer's like, yeah, what is that? He said, the Holy Spirit just entered into this room. Where are you with God? He said, you know what? I've been meaning to take care of that. So let's take care of it right now. And he leads this chief to the Lord. And he, Kevin comes back to me and says, thank you for the Gatorade. Just giving a gift opened up that door. 
Now that story didn't end because now Kevin is pretty excited about this day and that event. He goes to the to the YMCA to work out that day. He's in the he's in the uh, he's actually in the uh, locker room putting things on. He's whistling. He's got a smile on his face for no good reason other than he just led somebody to Christ. How many of you have ever led someone to the Lord? Is that a yeehaw day? That's like, oh, God, yeah, that is so cool. If, and so, uh, so the guy sitting next to him says, what are you whistling and all happy about? Kevin tells him the story that I just told you. And the guy in the locker room goes, you know what? I've been meaning to take care of that myself. Kevin says, are you, you want to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life? He goes, I do. And he leads him to Christ in the locker room right there. Now excited even more. He's out there. I mean, his workout was like amazing. Uh, and uh, he, he's headed home. His wife calls and said, can you stop at the grocery store? He said, sure. Stops at the grocery store. And he's still got that smile, still got the whistle. Person behind, got to the counter. Person behind the counter says, what are you all happy about? And he tells her the same two stories I just told you. And the lady goes, you know, I've been meaning to take care of that myself. Says, you want to ask what she said? Meet me uh, right around the back after a while and led her to Christ as well. And Kevin says this to me Who would have thought that just some Powerade Gatorade would open up the door for people to hear the gospel of Christ? Give a gift. That is a great way to serve. Number five, do something for someone. I am, I am excited that in the next two months, I have a missions trip that's going to Onaway, Michigan, which is right by Mackinac Island, just south of there. On our off day, I'm taking my whole group to Mackinac Island, and we're going to go serve the town of Onaway and do stuff. This is our second trip there, and I'm just telling you that God's doing some amazing things because the church got off of its property and served the community and some cool things. I'll tell a story or two of the first trip we went there, and then we're taking a trip in August, going to go to uh, a little town called Goodland, Warba, two towns, uh, Minnesota, up near Grand Rapids, Minnesota. Uh, the whole town, they're doing this whole thing called uh, We Love Goodland, and they're asking their town to come out and join us, and we are going to be fixing things, playground equipment, building things, putting in a Frisbee golf course. The church organized all of that. They went to the city hall and they organized a whole bunch of things that they could do to serve their community. But I want to just share as we conclude this last story. I actually have two stories, but this one in particular. Uh, I have a good little friend now. His name is Omar. He's going to be pictured up here in just a second. This is Omar. Omar uh, was somebody I didn't know a few years ago. I was doing a, a, a rural compassion training with about 25 pastors and their mates up in Minnesota. Happened to have uh, Steve and Rebecca Donaldson with us. We did a kind of a partnership training, and we gave Rebecca, who is the principal of one of the roughest elementary schools in all of Springfield, Missouri, on the north side of town. Everybody knows that that's the rough town part of town in Springfield, Missouri. And uh, she, she stood in front of all the pastors and gave the whole thing on on how to connect with your public school. How do we actually do that? And she said, now look, this is how you do it. You call up the principal or superintendent, you make an appointment first. They're busy people, you wanna get on their agenda, on their calendar. As you do that, you're gonna go in and you're not gonna go in there and say, uh, look, this is my agenda. Because if you came to me with your agenda, I marked you out of my office. But if you come in and you say, uh, what can I do to help you with your agenda? I have a list. We concluded that, uh, we concluded that uh, training. All the pastors, we had a semi-truck there. They were loading things onto pastors' vehicles, sending them home with a big smile and hopes and all kinds of stuff. Heard lots of good stories from that since. And uh, I was inside, and Rebecca, I said to Rebecca, as we were cleaning up inside, I said, all right, I live in Springfield. I just believe that Springfield's a better place to live because I live there. By the way, I believe this as well. Do you want to know what makes this a great church? What makes this a great church is you go here. Come on. What made the, the, it's not the pastor, not the worship team that makes this a great church. It's part of it. What makes this a great church is you go here. If something needs to be done, guess what? I am the church. You are the church. I want to ask you this question. I'm going to ask you this. Who is the church? And your response, I want you to respond with, I am the church. You ready? Who is the church? Who is the church? 
if something needs to be done, it's not the pastor's job, it's not the staff, it is I am the church. That's what makes us a great church. So I said that to Rebecca. I said, what can I do to help you with your agenda? She said, are you serious? I said, I think so. She said, well, I actually, we're doing a pilot group. Oh, uh, we're doing a pilot group on uh, connecting, and you're going to be the first one. We're basically using you as our illustration. <clears throat> she said, and, uh, or our, our, see if this works. Uh, we have a student in our school, Omar is his name, and he's been the roughest kid in our school. We've almost kicked him out five years in a row, kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth. He's been a bad kid, right? His home life is a wreck, everything, but he likes to play basketball. We're going to match you up because you like to play basketball, and I'm just asking you to come one, uh, one for a half hour once a week all school year. I said, ooh. So I made the commitment to do that on Thursday at 1230 every week. First week we got there, I went into the office, got buzzed in, went in the office, signed in. Rebecca said, I'm going to take you down to the cafeteria through down the hallway. You'll meet Omar there every week. You won't need me anymore. Every week you'll get him, go back down the hallway and go to the cafeteria. There will be two basketball there, and uh, you guys can just spend the half hour together, take him back to, the, to his classroom when you're done. Said, all right. So got there the very first week. She, Rebecca catches me in the office. Said, I'm going to take you and meet, let you, introduce you to uh, to Omar. Go down to meet Omar. And I'm looking at the cafeteria. One kid is horrible. He is hitting people. He is throwing things. He's just. I'm like, oh God, please don't let that be Omar. Rebecca says, Omar. Come on over here. Sure enough, it was Omar. She comes, Omar comes, and uh, we walk, as we're walking to the gym, uh, Rebecca said, uh, Omar, this is Greg. Greg, this is Omar. You guys get to play basketball all year this year. I reached my hand out to say, hey, Omar, I'm Greg, and he doesn't offer any hand back. We get down to the, or down to the gym, and uh, uh, Rebecca leaves. Now I'm there all by myself with this kid. I'm trying to get information just to get to know him, asking him questions, messing with him. I'm getting nothing. Omar finally just says, hey, forget all that. Why don't you just play a game? I'm like, all right. He said, I said, what do you want to play? He said, let's play around the world. I'm like, all right, around the world. He said, but we're going to play from the three-point line. This kid's in fifth grade, fifth grade. I'm like, how hard can this be? I said, okay, you can go first. He goes over to the corner. He shoots and swish. Goes to the next spot, uh, right at the corner, swish. Goes to the top of the key, and he misses. I said, do you want a chance? He said, no, your turn. He gives me the ball in the corner. How many of you believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus? They all showed up, right? I mean, all heaven showed up because I could never do this again in a million years. I went swish, 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 swish. So I never hit the rim. Ten swishes in a row and won the game. Omar looks at me and goes, are you a professional basketball player? <laughs> sure, kid, just stick with me. We got this. Something happened in that moment that broke where all of a sudden there was a respect, there was a camaraderie. We started talking about basketball and his favorite teams. He's a big Steph Curry fan, Golden State. He watched 30 for 30 and got into my world when he watched the Fab Five from the early 1990s. And we started talking basketball. We started talking life. He'd ask me where I went for the weekend. I'd tell him I was in Iowa, I was in Michigan. And, I, and then I'd talk to him about God a little bit here and there. I discovered things about him, had no dad, in fact, he'd had several men uh, just kind of stop in and kind of gave a picture of, for you there. A mom that was sometimes there, brothers, sisters, told me about his home life, that he owned like three, four pair of underwear. Had, I mean, poverty, real poverty uh, was what he really described. And we just started doing life together. Got there early November, and Rebecca catches me in the office, says, have you seen Omar yet? I said, no. She said, um, you need to ask him what that thing is around his neck. I went in and found Omar. We're walking down. I said, Omar, what is that around your neck? And he went just like this, hugged it, and he said, my teacher, my classmates just made me the student of the month. I'm like, Omar, I am so proud of you. And as soon as those words came out my mouth, I had my own flashback. Because I want you to understand something. I used to be Omar. Different color skin, same set of circumstances. I had a dad that wasn't there, alcoholic. He died when I was young. Mom trying to raise us, brothers, sisters, poverty. I had all of that stuff. I had a pastor 
who loved me and cared about me, invested his life in me, and I'll never forget as long as I live sitting in a service. I'll tell you what the verse was. We had just memorized a portion of Romans. Romans chapter 15, verse 4, kind of an obscure verse, talks about how that God used the far, our forefathers and set it before us an example. And the pastor was using that in his sermon. And he said, does anybody know that verse here today? And I raised my hand and said, Greg, stand up. I quoted the verse, and everybody in the church started clapping that I had quoted that verse. And I can tell you that the clap was nice. It was, it was like, oh, yeah, no. Uh, but what really made that moment was my, when my pastor looked me straight in the eye from off the pulpit and said, Greg, I am so proud of you. At that moment, I would have jumped through a wall for that man. That man became everything to me. That's who I wanted to be when I grew up. Pastor Simmons. That's who I wanted to be. Now back to where I was. So proud of you, Omar. I said, you know, you can be recognized for what's good or for what's bad. Which one feels better? And he hugged it. Found out several things. Number one, he didn't take that, uh, that award off for an entire month. He showered in it. He bathed in it. He slept in it. He didn't take it off. The other thing found out was that Omar, his, his behavior was changing day by day by day. They discovered that this kid was probably the smartest kid in the whole school. When they thought he wasn't learning a thing, he was learning everything. He knew, I mean, he, he, he topped out as far as education was concerned. He topped out. And because of his behavior change and everything, teachers started giving him responsibilities. They would take him out of the class when the school had visitors, and he became the spokesperson for the school to show them around the school he was that kid. He was one of the leaders amongst all leaders in his class. People looked up to him as the year kept going by. A, little, a few weeks later, mid-November, Omar said to me, hey, Greg, I know what I want to do when I grow up. I said, what do you want to do? He said, I want to play basketball at the University of Duke for Mike Krzyzewski. I'm like, no, no, not Duke, anywhere but Duke. Go to Michigan. Uh, I'll root for you if you go to Michigan. And I joked about it, went in back to the office, and I mentioned that to Rebecca. I said, hey, Omar just told me what he wants to be when he grows up. Gave him a hard time. I left. I went back the next week, and Rebecca says, hey, Good job. You had all the teachers in the teacher's lounge that, that have been Omar's teacher for the last five years crying. I said, I don't even know them. She said, no, I went and told them the story, what you told them. And each one of them in the, class, in the, in the uh, uh, teacher's lounge started crying because in the five years that he's been at our school, no one has ever heard Omar talk about his future. And we can always tell when a kid has been neglected or abused because when that is the case, People don't talk about their future. The pain is too great. We don't talk about our pain. We, uh, we, can't, we can't envision a future because of our, where we are with our pain right now. The fact that he's talking about a future shows us that something has changed in his life. We've looked at everything in his life and nothing has changed. Still goes home to the same uh, fatherless home, same mother who sometimes there isn't, brothers and sisters, still no money in the family. The only thing that has changed is he has an adult who is spending a half an hour a week giving him one-on-one -on -one attention, and it is changing his life. Next week, I'm sitting in my office at Convoy of Hope, 12.30, 12.45, Thursday afternoon. I'm thinking, I need to be, oh, I forgot Omar. I got on the phone and called Rebecca. I said, Rebecca, I said, I can't make it today. Can you tell Omar that I can't make it this week? She said, no, but you can. He's sitting right here waiting for you. She handed Omar the phone, and I said, Omar, I'm so sorry I can't make it. She's, he said, no, that's not a problem. He, she, he said, uh, I said, but I could make it tomorrow. Does that work? He said, that actually works better. Went back the next day, and picture you see here is an Andy's ice cream cone because I had to make retribution. I had to say I'm sorry some way, right? And uh, I said, Omar, I'm so sorry. When I saw him, I said, Omar, I got you an ice cream. Sorry for, for missing last week. He said, you can miss every week if you bring me ice cream on Friday. Right. Well, when I went in to see Rebecca to sign in, Rebecca catches me and she said, "Great job with Omar yesterday." So, what are you talking about? I forgot about him. She said, "No, he he left this office yesterday, skipping out of here." I said, "I forgot about him." She said, "No, what you got to understand is that 
Omar, all he's ever known is broken promises. Nobody has ever said they were sorry. Never called to say that they weren't going to be somewhere. The fact that somebody did that for him was humongous for him. And I'm thinking, even when I screw up with this kid, I somehow get it right. We just developed an incredible relationship as the year went by. I could tell you a lot more stories, but I want to conclude with, uh, with Omar in this story. Year got, the year came, was coming to an end. They started letting other kids in the gymnasium his age. Uh, we had our side. They had theirs. 20 kids on the other side. One of our basketballs got away. Omar went to half court to retrieve it. They threw it to him. He puts it down, cups his hand, and says, Hey, everybody, today it's me and Greg against the world. Me and Omar won that game because all I did was rebound and kept giving the ball to Omar. He kept making the shots. And you know, there are times in life where we have to remember that life is tough and can be tough, and it can be tough to put a smile on your face. But remember this. Hey, world, today it's me and Jesus against the world. You are never alone. You are never, ever alone. If Christ is on your side, we are never alone. He's a friend who's with us in the fire. He's a friend and a father who never leaves us nor forsakes us. He is a good, good, good God. People have said to me, wow, you made such an impact on Omar's life. And I will be quick to, re, to, re, to, to correct people. And I'd say this, no. Omar had a huge impact on my life. Because I used to be that kid. But thanks be to God that I'm not that kid and I get to help people like that. That is the goodness and the grace and the redemption power of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's what that is. I want to conclude with just this last story. It's a great story from Special Touch Ministries. I had somebody came, come to our church when I was pastoring in a little town in Iowa, told me this story. It had such an impact on me, and it still does years later. He, they, they do this ministry where they bring kids with special needs to their campgrounds, and they have a lot of counselors. Uh, it's like a one-on-two, one-on-one type of thing. And then they bring in a special speaker. And at the service, uh, the speaker made mention of this. It was uh, one of those C.S. Lewis quotes, uh, that God uses your pain to speak to us. It's like God's megaphone to us. We often hear the voice of God easier and better when we're going through hard times than we, we do when things are good. And if God is speaking to you, the speaker said, I want you to find a counselor at the break and I want you to tell him what God has said to you. At the break, there was a kid with cerebral palsy named Mike, 15, 16 year old kid. And Mike found a counselor and said, God spoke to me. Counselor said, all right, Mike, what did God say to you? Thinking it was gonna be really kind of a uh, cool thing. And uh, Mike said, well, God told me that he, that God himself, has cerebral palsy. The, the counselor's thinking to himself, well, that can't be. God, God heals people. He's all-powerful. He's omniscient. He's, uh, God does, he said, but he didn't say any of that. He just kind of confused, said, what do you mean by that? What do you mean by that, Mike, that God has cerebral palsy? And Mike said this, well, cerebral palsy is when the head tells the body what to do, but the body doesn't listen. Christ is the head, Colossians chapter 2. We are his body. He has called us and told us and commanded us to serve. What option do we have? 